Sonic States. Hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 132. Uh, we're recording live today, which is Wednesday the 3rd of June. Uh, we will be uh, putting the edited version up on iTunes and available via the site on Thursday the 4th of June. Um, please welcome in the chat room. We've got a lot of people in the chat room this week and they are... Um, well, can all be found at sonicstate.com forward slash live. So if you haven't been there before and you missed it this week, get over there for next week and then we can, um, we can hook you up and you can join us in the live chat room. We've got a great, a great selection of people in there this week. Uh, I'm flying by the seat of my pants because I'm using an IRC chat room uh, client this week so I can archive the chat because I never get to see all of it because I'm sort of busy doing other stuff. But hello everybody in the chat room and hello everybody uh, live on the line with me. I guess I should introduce first of all our our, our new guest um, Diego Stocker who's very kindly agreed to join us even though it's some unearthly hour on over on the uh, west coast of uh, America where you are. Um, but Diego thank you very much for coming with us i thank you guys for inviting me that's all right you don't you, you don't sound like you're up late last night so uh <laughs> but i was uh, you, you've just got some really good remedies it's the coffee you know ah. it's the italian coffee that does the magic <laughs> well for those of you who don't know diego is uh, a, a sound designer and uh, I, I guess you're you're listed as officially as a producer sound producer for spectrosonics and had a lot to do mm-hmm. with some of the great uh, patches that we've seen in omnisphere and some of the other stuff as well and yeah. i forgot i was amiss because i should have played this first <laughs> which is what happens when you get to your website and uh, that's yeah. uh, which I, I have to say it's it just been redesigned hasn't it because it, it looks fantastic at the moment yeah it's i mean i did the first version in 2004 it was sounding more uh electronic and then in 2006 or 7 i redid it it's um, more acoustic actually it's just acoustic sounds it's a, a, a vocal quintet uh, plus uh, some uh, organic noises like uh, paper uh, stone uh, all that kind of stuff <laughs> oh cool mixed together yeah Piano burner. <laughs> Someone just wrote piano burner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, P- MPS via the chat room. Piano burner. Get him. I was, I was going to ask you actually later how many pianos a year you actually get through. Because I noticed you no, were hitting I- another one with a, with a hammer as well in one of your videos. Yeah, I had... Well, I had several pianos, but uh, I burned one, only one, and uh, I kind of tortured uh, another one. I was uh, um, dismantling it uh, piece by piece, and by uh, by the end, it was just uh, an empty shell of a piano. But uh, but I love pianos. <laughs> People need to know that. <laughs> Good. I know you do. But we want to set the record straight. Well, let me introduce uh, some of my other guests, and then we can come back and question you in, in more depth. So, uh, also, um, let, well, let's have Dave Spears, because we haven't had you for a little while. You were away last week um, playing tennis, I believe. Are you recovered? Uh, actually, I lied. Oh. <laughs> you were playing... I was going to play tennis, and then a mate of mine who is a front house engineer, who's always away on tour, and uh, decided that he was going to join a gym. So we both joined a gym. And we went down there and he punished me and he's been punishing me ever since. I see. Sounds slightly gay, doesn't it? Muscular men punishing each other in and around gyms. Doesn't yes. sound doesn't sound good for you. <laughs> well, I mean it's nothing nothing bad about it. It just doesn't sound like it's in your character. I've been every day this week. Have you? God, you must be in pain. Yes, I am. Dave, of course, uh, g4software.com where you can see what he's up to with his virtual instruments of some note. 
and um, <clears throat> thanks for joining us. And uh, that um, uh, brings us next. We'll we'll zip across to the other side of the pond and we'll say hello to meeny hmm, meeny Mike Richard Hilton. Rich Hilton uh, from Camp Chic, member of the uh, the touring disco band, and uh, works daily with Mr. Nile Rogers in the studio. How are you, Rich? I'm good. Real good. Excellent. Whereas some weeks we have two uh, Daves, this week we have two Diegos. We have a Diego in the chat room. Ah. As well as on the show. Double Diego. Yeah. <laughs> or is that you, Diego? Mm. Uh, no, no. Oh, somebody no, else. No, I, okay. No, I just, uh, Another Diego in the chat room, Mr. D. Hello to you all. <laughs> so, Rich, um, I don't hear the birds tweeting this week. Does that mean you're not out on the porch? They do happen to be quiet at the moment. It's true, but uh, it's gorgeous out. It's, you know, 68 degrees Fahrenheit, and it's very just lush and beautiful outside. Excellent. Well, they're, they're just chilling, no doubt, because it's very hot here as well, actually. Mm. I'm very envious because I know right now my, uh, my partner and my daughter are at an outside swimming pool getting cool. And I wish uh, I could do the podcast from there, but I don't think they have um, sufficient Wi-Fi or mains power or microphone points or anything for me to do it from there. And also, it might be a bit noisy. Um, Rich Hilton, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. And lastly, but certainly by no mean leastly, PJ Tracy uh, from Minneapolis. Emmy-winning PJ Tracy. How are you doing, PJ? I'm doing very well, thanks. Good. Good to be here this morning. Hello to both Diegos and... Everybody else. Anyway, well, let's begin. I mean, first of all, I, I, I wanted to talk to Diego, really, because um, Diego's obviously kind of uh, come here especially to just talk to us about some of the stuff that he's been up, up to. And um, aside from the producer for Spectrosonics and responsible for some excellent game soundtracks and all the various kind of sound experiments and instruments you make, what, what have you been up to? What are you sort of in the middle of now, or are you not? That's why you're with us. Uh, I just finished the third volume of Epic Score, which is a CD that contains music for trailers, and it gets used in uh, both films and video games uh, or any sort of promo, and that uh, kept me busy for a while. And um, then I've been working on some other stuff that are getting finalized in these days, so I can say... Oh, I also did a, a the sounds for... Um, um, iPod, I, uh, I, what's the name? iPod Touch, iPhone. Yeah, application, it's a, it's a, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a game called uh, Deep Green. It's a chess game. I did all these sounds uh, with a real uh, board uh, and uh, other toys to make it sound more uh, real, and uh, that was fun. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of your stuff is is very um, unusual. I mean, do you find? Are you mostly doing stuff? that's recorded from natural sources or are you still kind of using hardware and software synthesizers as sound sources as well? Uh, it's mainly uh, starting from an acoustic uh, point of view and I can, I mean, I can use plugins on top of that, but it, I find more interesting starting with the real, well, real, <laughs> it's not the right word, but I, I find more interesting to start using an instrument uh, that I build and then manipulate that sound with, with plugins. Um, okay. Yeah. But I love synths. I mean, I, I still use synths, but it's just the kind of stuff that I do is um, it's more interesting to use a, a real instrument. You can, you can get much more out of it. So do you find yourself kind of, are you one of those people that kind of walks past something that makes a sound and then you suddenly turn around and think, hey, I can use that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You should see my wife all the time. She says, uh, can you just stop? Can we just move? I said, no, but this is really an interesting sound. I should record it, you know. 
I've, I've been recording the, um, you know, the, the escalate, the, um, how do you call the, I mean, all sort of noises. The, if I go to Ikea and there's a sound that I hear, I have to record it. And I've been using that kind of sound in, uh, in some tracks uh, for, uh, for this new volume of Epic Texture. Oh, okay. So, I, I, and do you find that um, there's a sort of certain poetry to the way that some sounds link to the sound effects that they use? It may not be, you know, it, it's we've talked about this before when you kind of go out and you want to record a, a burbling, a babbling brook or a waterfall and then you bring it home and you play and it actually sounds like someone flushing a toilet and not very interesting. But <laughs> But you use something else that has a sort of a sort of philosophical join to it somehow. Do you find that that happens to you a lot? I do. I mean, I. Uh, this is really on the uh, philosophical side, but I believe there's a sound everywhere. It's just a matter of finding it. And some of those are easier. Some other requires a, a more tricky technique. Uh, and you need to, uh, I don't know, use uh, some special microphone. I'm customizing some microphones because I want to see if I can find uh, some other stuff that you don't usually uh, capture with regular mics. And uh, But I think there is a really a philosophical thing behind it. And uh, I'm just going through this path and see where it leads because I have no idea. I, I, I started with the water, then I did the music for uh, from sand, you know. Mm, and, yeah, uh, that was beautiful. Thanks. And then I have another idea. Can I, I can't tell too much, but it's in the works. Uh, uh, I want to see how that uh, turns out. So one thing that I notice, it doesn't seem like um, you use a whole bunch of like a lot of you know compression in the way that you have the sounds because they're very dynamic and they have quite natural tails. Is that in the recording or is the way you manipulate it afterwards? Well, for for those kind of sounds, I don't want to use uh, any brick wall limiting. It doesn't make any sense. You know, they need to stay natural. There there is a, a certain amount of processing, of course, because uh, you can't really take the sound of sand and expect to sound musical you know polished uh, sure. as it sounded in the mix but um i'm not pushing them uh, to the limit as, as i do when i do music for trailers you know in that case you really have to destroy everything it has to be <laughs> constantly at zero db yeah and uh, no movement on the meters uh, no no it's just uh, uh, one more question. I don't know if anyone else has anything to ask, but um, I noticed that a lot of the sounds, like, for instance, if I play this uh, stapler a second, I just wanted to play this because it was something that, that it led to an interesting question, or at least interesting in my mind. saying that sound is part of the core library of omnisphere um i just made the, my own custom patches for those uh, uh, for that sound but basically the the beginning was just the spring inside the stapler and then it's been modified the the melody you hear it's made with the granular synthesis that's why i got the sustained tone you know but, uh, okay. uh, 
but using sort of sections of the the actual sound waves that you created from the stapler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, there's a there's a lot of work behind. Uh, you know, that, that sometimes I read reactions around and say this can't be possible. You can't make a piece of music just with that. Uh, where's the melody coming from? I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of work behind. It's not easy. I mean, it's not that I uh, I, I turn on the, the recorder and then I do the video and that's it. That's right. Uh, just video, take it take it out, put it across a key group in a sampler and you're done. <laughs> right, right. I mean, the video, it, it's like it shows you the like a, a resume of the entire process, but uh, it, it, it's, um, it's a lot of steps. Yeah, I can imagine. So... The other thing I was wondering, what, what kind of mic preamps are you using? Because, I mean, recording very, very small noises, it's very easy to introduce an awful lot of uh, extra kind of extraneous noise in there. Do you have special purpose uh, mic amps or are you kind of using anything uh, special? I don't. I mean, I've been using all sorts of stuff. Uh, and, of course, uh, you want to stay away from uh, uh, valvular. Um, oh, yeah, valve stuff. Uh, yeah, well, stuff because of course they are more noisy. I've been using a Millennia preamp, which is amazingly silent. But uh, in everyday recordings, I I just use the I have a Edirol R4, which is a portable recorder. Yeah, and I carry that around, and I have also the R09. Well, that's a little less uh, sounds not as the R4, but it's not really the preamp itself that makes the magic. It's also how close you get to the object and um, what, what kind of processing you do after, uh, how do you use the noisers in some cases, you know. Mm. Uh, I, I found that, uh, I mean, the, the, there was a time like, seven eight years ago that i was struggling because i was thinking man i don't have the right equipment so i I can't really get the sound that i want but then i thought it wasn't really the the point uh it it really is a matter of uh you sit down you take a listen you you do what the best you can with what you have and uh and then you keep optimizing and uh yeah and uh, you get some some good sound out of it Hmm. It just sounds like a sort of fascinating process. I mean, is there a kind of workflow that you use for each one or is it designed, you know, do you kind of go, well, I've recorded this, then the next stage is this, the next stage is that. I mean, that you care to tell us about, obviously, because I don't want you to give away any of your uh, family secrets, but um, just be interested to know perhaps a bit more about it. It's a different thing all the time. I mean, I've been uh, uh, working in a very strange way with Pro Tools, uh, since 12 years ago because at that time I was working as a post-production technician so I was just doing commercials every day but I wanted to do I wanted to do some music but I didn't have any keyboard and uh, any instrument around so I started to get the most out of uh, the the tools uh, offered offered by Pro Tools and so I started to build this kind of technique inside the inside the software where I can shape all sorts of sounds uh, and I work really, really fast. So if you see how I, how I work, I, I repeat a lot of uh, editings uh, with uh, command keys and stuff. Yeah. And uh, uh, so every time I'm just uh, um, using a different part of this process, depending on what kind of sound I need to achieve. It's not a fixed process. And sometimes I just have to 
teach myself something new. I just have to find a, a different way to get uh, to to the point where I want to go. But I don't use really too many plugins. It's a, it's mostly a matter of uh, recording, uh, um, thinking about. There's a lot. I, this is the thing. Uh, not every sound can be turned into something you know that amazing. You can get a, a, a sounds out of everything, but yeah, you need to think about it. You know what I mean. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, when you when you start, do you kind of have a rough idea of what you're going to get, or is it a, actually a sort of voyage of discovery when you start to kind of make, you know, tap it in various places and just hear the sounds as as it come out of it? It's like you sort of jam uh, with a physical object until you can't find any more sounds out of it. Uh, usually, I already have a pretty good idea of the type of music uh, I'm going to compose. For instance, in music from uh, from sand. If I was going to change the key of the song, uh, it, it was something different because it's not uh, totally optimized. So you know what I mean? It, it, you can't really play it as a piano. So no. it sounds good uh, when it's played uh, uh, at that tempo, in that key, uh, and uh, everything seems to match together and, and, and it makes uh, you think, oh, it's a nice piece of music. But uh, if you move uh, everything to a different key, pff, it, it might sound totally strange. Oh, uh, I mean, I. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, so essentially, each object has its own fundamental kind of scale. Yeah, I mean, you, you try to keep uh, the um, the original sound of the object as much as you can, uh, but uh, in some cases, if you go way far from the note, from the tonal note that you find inside the objects. It might, sound, it might sound hollow, you know what I mean? It, right. It's still a tuned sound, but it doesn't sound full or expressive as uh, it could be in the in the right key. I, I mean, sometimes I don't know what's the right key. I just have to play play around and find it. Uh, I see, right. Okay, that, that's very interesting. Um, any any of you other guys, I know PJ, you're kind of into Omnisphere and Rich, and uh, any, anything you'd like to um, to ask Diego at this point? Because I, I feel like I'm hogging the uh, the mic here. I have a question. Um, when you're doing all of those repetitive edits, are you using something like Quick Keys for the uh, commands? No, it's just a uh, very... I, I just uh, got into the routine to do the same operations uh, many, many times. I don't even... To give you an idea, if someone is asking me, tell me by words in sequence what to do, I get stuck. Because my hand, uh, I'm just used to do the thing automatically. So Right, right. No, I understand that. And it's just that you're using the internal key commands that are provided with the program then. Oh, yeah, 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 with Pro okay. Tools. Yeah. Cool. I once had an epif- you know, a, a sort of a light bulb moment when I was standing uh, on the beach in Brighton, in England, uh-huh. and uh, there was water crashing on the rocks, and it made a sound unlike any I'd ever heard before. And I asked, I didn't have a mobile with me at the time, and I asked my friend who was with me to please record it and send it to me on his mobile. I mean, just to see what we ended up with. And what we ended up with was not something that was usable, but uh, it was interesting. And so I do hear life as a series of musical events on some level and I could, and, and mine tend to, to suggest percussion more for some reason in my consciousness, but I love to hear what Diego hears out of these things and what he makes out of these things. It's really fantastic. So kudos there, Diego. Great stuff. Thanks. Man. Thanks. Now, you know, uh, when you are working with this kind of objects, uh, um, 
of course, the most uh, immediate thing that you can get out of them is percussion sounds. Yeah. But um, in some cases, you can um, get a sustained tone. In case of the of the light bulbs, the problem wasn't the sustained tone because uh, if you if you hit a light bulb, it lasts for uh, let's say a second, second and a half. It's just that the noise is so loud that you need to dig into the noise to get the sustained sound out of it. Sometimes you'll use the decay portion of a sound as the fundamental. No, 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 no. It's always the full sound. It's just that you have to um, really know how to get to the to the last part of the sound to to clean up the last part of the sound mm-hmm. um, to hear the, the the resonance or the sustained uh, tone. Uh, okay. Uh, so, do you have sort of um, noise? reduction techniques and stuff that you have to employ for that yeah yeah i do i have my own i'm not using a, a super sophisticated the noise i'm not going to say any names to do you know commercial kind of thing but it's just how i use it and and even in that case it was just a matter of trying and uh refining the technique uh, finding a better way to use it that's why i say i don't use too many plugins because uh, i like to get the most uh, a lot out of uh, each single one you know and then when uh, you totally exhausted any possibility, then you move to a different one and, and you start something new. Oh, brilliant. I just wanted to play another small piece because, um, well, why not? And I, I really enjoyed this one. So if you're, uh, uh, this is the light control oscillator, which uh, I think was something yeah. that quite you did quite recently. Yes, that's a new one. Yep. It's been done uh... It's uh, incredibly atmospheric, that. I mean, um, first, perhaps you could explain what that was the soundtrack to. What was the sort of, what 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 was that, the purpose of that particular? Yeah, that's a, um, an instrument that I, okay, the, the, you guys are familiar with the optical term. I mean, it's uh, this small circuit that uh, uh, with light, you, you can control the pitch with light. Yeah. But uh, the problem with that is that you are in the middle of the day it, it, it's like a it's like a high pitched sound okay you're in the middle of the night it sounds like nothing so you can use a flashlight to control the pitch but it's not really controllable so i wanted to find a way to to actually control the pitch and the trigger of the sound so i i took one of those circuits put it inside this uh, old uh, signal generator that i bought on ebay and um, and basically, it's a it's a simple square wave that I can control as I want, and then the, that signal is going through a spring reverb, uh-huh. uh, an iFi amplifier with all speakers mic'd, yeah. live, and then it goes inside Pro Tools. And inside Pro Tools, uh, I have uh, four lines, four chains of uh, delays, uh, comb filter delays. Basically, the, the frequency triggers a different type of delay line and creates the uh, the atmospheres 
around the, the, the sound. And I created uh, this instrument for the score of The Conduit, the video game that uh, is going to be out soon, because I needed to create a lot of those ambiences. I mean, I could have used this, uh, a synth, you know, but, but I like the rough uh, uh, tone of this instrument, especially when you uh, you have the signal going through. Yeah, cra- and also cra- it, it's it's very a very wide, much wider than just a straight eighty eight keys as well, by the sound of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially because I recorded it live. I mean, it's not uh, going from the machine uh, straight into Pro Tools. It, it's uh, being uh, mic'd, and yeah. then I am uh, reprocessing the the mic'd uh, signal. Brilliant! No, it, it sounded great, and it just very, very sort of organic and industrial at the same time. I thought. Um, anybody got anything else to add, PJ or Dave? Would you like to chip in at this point? You've been very quiet. Yes, I've got. I've got a question. Okay. Uh, in your composition with the sand, Diego, did you did you run those sounds through the Omnisphere engine because they're very reminiscent of the of the work that you've come up with for spectrosonics i'm just curious or, or is it just that you were using the same process within pro tools uh no there's no omnisphere involved i mean uh it's kind of my personal technique that i use to make uh, you know these kind of organic sounds and uh um i just use the exs24 basically as a sampler for uh those samples okay uh, oh really yeah Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you you're not kind of you're you're sort of fairly door agnostic. So you use Pro Tools and Logic and whatever you need, really. Well, I my my love is for Pro Tools. I use Logic just because uh, it's easier to do certain things. But uh, sometimes I I can't really wrap my mind around the logic uh, of Logic. It's just a <laughs> yes, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I started, you know, with Pro Tools when it was just, a, you know, the, 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 the blank page, white, and, uh, and the mixer, and then uh, you move forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I still like that kind of simplicity, just two pages, and that's all I have to see. In, in, in Logic, if you by, by mistake you eat the one or two or three, it opens up all the screenshots. <laughs> yes, the screen, yeah, quite. Yeah. Well, great. Thanks very much for that extra insight. Um, I think, um, if you don't mind, I think I might just quickly go into an ad here because uh, we're about halfway through. So I'm just going to uh, say hello and welcome to our first of our show sponsors, who are Roland.co.uk, who incidentally will be displaying at the LIMS show, which is the London International Music Show, next week at the London Excel Centre in Docklands from, that's the 11th and 12th, and then over the weekend of June. Um, But they'd like to bring your attention to their V-Synth Patch Vote competition, where you can win yourself a Boss Micro BR Recorder, and perhaps you'll be able to record some uh, some great samples for sound design of your own. But um, what you need to do is go check out the V-Synth Patch Vote page, where you can go and see what people the people in the Roland Planet stores have been up to with the V-Synth GT operating system 2, which has a number of amazing synthesis capabilities in it. Um, if you go to roland.co.uk slash V-Synth GT patch vote and check out any one of the, I think it's nine or 12 clips there from the various different staff on the Roland Planet stores and vote on your favourite one. Your name goes into a hat and you may well be the lucky recipient. But failing that, if you're in the UK next week, head over to 
the Londoners Natural Music Show, where I believe they are going to be unveiling some new products. So I'm told I'm uh, I'm booked in for my my appointment on first thing on Thursday morning. So anyway, thanks once again to Roland UK for advertising with us this week. Uh, this week's guest, special guest, is uh, Mr. Diego Stocker, who is uh, a sound designer himself of some note, and we've just been talking about all sorts of techniques and workflow and some of the musical pieces he's going perhaps we should move into some more of our um unless anybody's got any more questions i don't know uh, dave spears have you got anything you'd like to like to question uh, diego yeah, one one question one statement statement is i'm so glad it looks it is a lot harder than it looks on your videos <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too i'll be honest um, question any favorite mics i know you use a Build recorders and stuff like that, but any other kind of favorite mics? Uh, I use a lot. I, I use Rhodes a lot uh, because um, uh, it's not they they they're not expensive and they work. Because uh, when I did the burning piano, I was really really afraid to burn yeah. everything. I you don't want to no put your M forty nines on there, do you? Really? Don't. No, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I seriously had no idea what was going to happen uh, with that. And then uh, I use. Um, the, um, I have Rhodes, I have Neumann, I have uh, some other that I don't remember the name right now. But I kind of stick with, with Rhodes, uh, Rhodes most of the time. It's just uh, it's the same thing with the preamps, you know. When you, when you find something that works, uh, uh, you just keep going. And, uh, and uh, I, I wanted to try the, the uh, Earthworks, you know, the one that goes up to the super high frequency range. Is that the ones that mm-hmm. are for the pianos? Uh, yeah, the the mm-hmm. where they have the tiny capsule, but I didn't have a chance yet. Uh, so mm. maybe in the future. Do you work with stereo mostly? I, I work with the uh, four channels minimum mostly because uh, I like to record a lot of uh, um, channels, and then I can decide which one I want to use. And oh, cool. uh, yeah, so I can go from uh, minimum four up to eight. Uh, uh, I don't use them all together at the same time because you can imagine it's going to be a mess with phases. But it, it's cool to have a lot of different um, um, perspectives. You know, you, you place all these microphones around, so with the same take, you can get a lot of different sounds. Mm. Uh, Do you sort of approach it in the same way that you'd mic up a drum kit? I suppose so. You have sort of room mics, far mics, near mics. You know, off axis, uh, all that sort of thing. It, it depends because. Uh, Let's say the the, the 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 drum set has a physical dimension which is uh, pretty clear. Let's say you're recording a stapler, okay? Mm. <laughs> There's no close micing, far micing. It's it's all really close, to, yeah. Right? It's it's like <laughs> close, close and closer, to, close and closer, right? <laughs> and so you just have to try different uh, different approaches. I I don't think I have a a standard technique that I apply to all the different sounds. Okay, well, brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, Ah, Henry Till. Come in, please. This is how it all started. Right here. This guy. Bought this kit way back. It's a... I thought it was going to be a distortion pedal. I was wrong. It wasn't quite a distortion. This is a part of a Korg synthesizer that I began to take apart many years ago. Oh, oh, mess, mess. This guy's got a wave multiplier, which takes a, you know, a sound and makes it more complex. Goes from like a... Well, that was uh, a clip from the uh, portrait of Henry Till, as he says, is uh, all-around top chap and synthesizer aficionado from a guy called Rahul Chad- Chadda. Uh, and that was on Vimeo. 
And um, when I first looked at this, my immediate reaction was, Jesus Christ, I've never seen a room quite as messy as that. And, um, <laughs> and, and it was really, you know, it made me feel quite saintly because, uh, as you know, my, my mess is quite legendary as well, but it, it's nothing as to this. And aside from the, um, I, I don't know whether it was his, his bedsit or whatever, but uh, it, aside from that, I was thinking in terms of um, what is it about this kind of thing that attracts this kind of behaviour? Why, why, um, why is it that, that, that we kind of, you know, it's, it's like a, a, a man in his shed, I suppose. Some of us are very neat, some of us aren't. And he's one of them who isn't. Um, I'll start with you, Diego, because <laughs> I, I don't know how neat or tidy your, uh, your, your studio is, but I do notice that you actually treat a lot of your video and pixelate it. Is that because it is a complete mess or because you, you just like the stylistic <laughs> look of it? No, it's just because I, I don't have any high quality equip- video equipment. So that's the only way to do a video. I'm using a, f- uh, I've been using a flip, uh, you know, oh, the yeah, Mino movie, HD movie, camera. Yeah, yeah. Or before that, I've been using even crappier cameras. Uh, so I can't really go for high quality. So I go for uh, a nice lo-fi kind of feel, you know. <laughs> but uh, I was just looking at the video yesterday. I was thinking, man, <laughs> did you see the cat? Yeah. <laughs> it's the cat the was cool chair. and actually quite menacing. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I'm feeling fine. <laughs> well, it, it, it happens to to you know get cables and stuff around but you you can get to this to the point where you you don't even know what's going on and it can be really really tricky to do a session in that situation so yeah when you're reaching the, for a mic and it just pulls something off a shelf oh and, yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah. No, and usually usually headphones are the most tangled uh, cables in the world i don't know why seems to be I remember because there was that there was that phase in the um, in the sort of seventies and eighties for having curly leads for your guitars and everything, and they just you chuck them in a bag, you've just got no hope of getting them apart again. But um, he had a lot of stuff there, but it looked a little bit like maybe some of it was never ever going to be used, even though I was you know, thinking. Yeah, I, I was looking for the moment when it was start to show something like a custom uh, built instrument out of all the different parts, but it was more like a tour into the um, different pieces that he's been collecting uh, yeah. uh, during years. I couldn't uh, find any other information about Henry Till, actually. I, I wanted to, because he did seem like a really nice guy. And um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a messy room. Lord knows, I should know. But um, then when he actually made any music, it was on the Pro 1 and the GX3P with the programmer. PJ, I, I know we've talked about messy rooms before, but did you get, did you get anything from this? Did it make you, feel, make you feel even your modicum of mess was just insignificant? Absolutely. Yeah. It looks like he has a part graveyard, part junkyard, <laughs> part part yard there. And he's about hip deep in cables. And it's, and I, I love the thing I love about that video the most, I think, are his vocalizations when he says, when you add a wave multiplier, it goes from ooh to meow, meow, meow. It's fantastic. It's kind of a, you know, there should be a synth programming book 101 where you open it up and you hit the button next to wave multiplier and it goes meow, meow. What do they, what do they call that? Do they call is it alliteration? Is that the right word for it? Alliteration? Isn't that when you repeat a, a consonant? Ah, okay. That's teeny, not it, tiny, <laughs> Topsy-turvy. Onomatopoeia. That's awesome. Onomatopoeia, that's yeah. right. Yeah, it was good. It, it's a very. I got a really warm feeling from him. Just thought he seems like he's probably a really interesting guy to know, and probably knows an awful lot about that stuff. Dave, your room has just recently been tidied up, so you know mm-hmm. you must be yeah. feeling so 
I'm is, trying to keep on top of it, but I think <laughs> fundamentally I'm a kind of messy git, but I'm in recovery, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in recovery. So I'm trying to keep on top so of it. You, one shelf at a time. Back every, yeah, right, right. Every day you're trying one more cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or sling one out. Cable a day program. <laughs> well, I have a confession to make. I had uh, Tara Bush came to visit um, yesterday, was it? Or the day before? Gosh, it was wow. Monday. And uh, I, I, I tidied up a bit. Because I just felt, ah. at least I should, you know, be able to kind of... <laughs> so there's lots of stuff around the edge of the room, under tables and things. The middle was quite quite empty and sort of I hoovered and opened the windows. So, I mean, I, 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 like, this is really bad. It's not really bad, but uh, you can see most of my desk now, although there is quite a lot of cabling over it. But you so know, when, you open up, when you opened up the door, there was no jungle drums then? No, there wasn't. <laughs> they didn't have to, they, they didn't open the door and go, Nick, Nick, where are you? <laughs> That's right. But uh, anyway, Tara's um, got a new album out soon, and um, she's got some really cool uh, limited edition merchandising coming out, which I got a first look at. Uh, an edition of 100, and I saw serial number one. But I can't say any more. I'm sworn to secrecy. secrecy. Is she as lovely in person as she seems online? She's great. She's really nice. She's, yeah. The, the, her and, uh, and her partner, Math, they're, they're a great couple. And uh, they, they chose to come to the UK at possibly the only time in the last 10 years when the weather's been good for more than three days at a time. So I think they were kind of quite enjoying themselves. Where is she from? Uh, well, she, they're based in LA at the moment. Ah, oh, I didn't realise that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Dave. Hmm. I've already asked you, haven't I? Rich, I haven't asked you yet. What did you make of the... Did, sorry, I lost track there. He seems like a lovely fellow. He does, doesn't he? I couldn't <laughs> and, find anything uh, about him. At all. The whole exercise felt like dumpster diving to me. Yeah. <laughs> it did. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I know people who used to do that, and I know somebody who died doing that. And uh Um I do. But but uh not that this guy is gonna, but but just the whole thing had the quality of dumpster diving to me. But he's a very interesting man and a very nice man and seemingly creative. And uh like you, I was kind of waiting for Something I'd never seen, you know, some kind of ray gun that played MIDI or something to come out, but it never did. And uh, it's the know, it like a, he might. It's the process. It's the collection. His, isn't his it? romance for the JX three P perhaps exceeds mine, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really get off on the JX three P either myself. But anyway, that was Portrait of Henry Till by Rahul Chadra on Vimeo. Um, a search of of pretty much the whole internet yields very little information about Henry Till, even though it seems quite an unusual name. I couldn't find anything at all. <laughs> it's because he's been buried under all of that crap for all right. these years. And Nick, I think you'll be hearing a lot about Henry Till once his room spontaneously breeds artificial intelligence. Maybe that's right. He's working on an organic neural network. <laughs> Okay, right. Uh, where are we now? I guess we should. I should get the other ad in quickly while uh, while while I'm still ahead. Uh, also, we'd like to say thank you um, to our second show sponsor, who are LoopMasters.com. I have to say that very carefully because I have got a bit of a cold. Uh, they're the number one website and sample CD distributor dedicated to bringing you the most inspirational collections of royalty-free sounds and samples from some of the top producers worldwide. Uh, they've got all sorts of formats, all kinds of types of music, and um, you need to check them out at LoopMasters.com. And they're still offering. We have a special offer. Uh, where you can get a coupon if you email info at loopmasters.com with the subject Sonic State VIP. They've got a very few coupons left, which they will have to uh, manually distribute the last few, uh, where you can download up to 800 megabytes of free royalty-free sounds that as a sort of special Sonic State VIP 
thing that they're doing. And uh, so email info at loopmasters.com with the subject Sonic State VIP if you want to get hold of one of those. And uh, hurry up because uh, they're going to run out soon. And also I want to say they've got uh, their video podcast. They do a, they've got a domain called looptv.net and they've got number three of their video podcast uh, with some great stuff on there. Uh, interviews with producers and tech talk section with... Uh, Rob Jones, who's talking about pattern manipulation in Live 8. So check them out too, looptv.net. Thank you very much to loopmasters.com once again for their continued sponsorship of the show. Right, what should we do next then? Um, Orbital's live setup. Um, This again is another post that came up via synthtopia.com, which is a really great site. Brilliant blog. Um, he's really good at getting a lot of stories before I do. God damn him. But uh, this was this was a brilliant one. And um, this was just um, sort of pre-release photos of Orbital, who are going out live again. And there's a, a big chunk of stuff there. A lot of uh, the takes. It looks like they're taking a whole bunch of analog stuff. They look like there was an, a Macbeth M5, Andromeda, all sorts of kind of proper analog real synthesizers that they're going to take out on the road and um and a mixing desk and everything and these were from production rehearsals i believe well it didn't look like it had been cased up but they all were orbital the guys who had the head torches that's their kind of thing two ball guys with head torches and that was the sort of they do long and um dance music gigs dave you you know a little bit about this don't you i did yeah uh i spoke to paul hartnell yesterday bizarrely enough um both paul and phil use um imposca and bizarrely enough, the um, Imposca 2 will be going out on tour with them. Um, but he gave me a list, and he said, it's two Andromedas, uh, an SH-02, 909, 808, 303, Macbeth, M5N, Moog Voyager, Machine Drum, Novation SL, Mark II, uh, all run from a MacBook Pro with Ableton Live 7, two Lemurs. Yeah, I uh, saw a Lima though, yeah. Acheonics 32-channel desk, uh, Jupiter 6, and a couple of Moto interfaces. Lordy. Now, that uh, sounds yeah. like a bit of a nightmare for the poor techs of putting that a lot together. Because, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, there's, I, only, I two of them, there's only two of them in the band, but they've got 15 techs. <laughs> uh, they've got one, actually. Wow, he must be good. He's a bloke called Alex Turner, and uh, according to Paul, he's never worked with anyone so conscientious and thorough. Mm. Right. You so must he be doing a good job. He's completely mustered. But it was really interesting, because during the chat, he said... Uh, that what he loves about the anal- taking the analog stuff out live is it just adds this unpredictability for the gig. Yeah. So it's a completely fun and yet totally unsafe stage environment. And he likened it to a kind of 1970s adventure playground, a lot more fun than modern ones, but you do risk breaking a leg or two. <laughs> oh my well i, I remember um, a band called eat static who played on a stage i was running at glastonbury festival a number of years ago and they went on two hours late because they had a very similar setup to that and it took them so long to put it all together and i, I was you know it, it drove me insane so i'm assuming they don't have that sort of problem although it's always possible but i guess if they got ableton live they could they've got a kind of backup plan sort of if they could, if they really wanted to but i mean <sighs> These kind of these, these live setups. I mean, how complicated do they have to be before you just say no? It's not possible. I don't know. You, I mean, you must know. have done a few, um, Dave yourself. I mean, did you have you have you seen anything like this before, or had to run anything like this? Uh, yeah, I can't mention the band, but I was asked to uh, go out on the road with them, and they were using all sorts of really, really, really old stuff. And I just took one look at it and went, "No, thanks." <laughs> <laughs> I walked away. I think 
I mean, you know, we've, I've done a fair few, but I think Chris takes the biscuit when he was doing Emerson's stuff because that was the Moog Modular, the GX1, the L100, and of course it all. I think actually at one point what he did do was sample some stuff from the modular into an emulator, I think it was, and just kind of kid uh, Keith that actually he was playing the Moog when he was probably just triggering the, mod- <laughs> uh, the emulator. I'm not sure. I think there was some story about that. So that, that you didn't have to tune it up every day. Because, I mean, the thing it, is, it's all right being the tech for that, but you need, you need like a workshop of people who can fix stuff and all these spare parts, surely, with that sort of thing. I think it was a case of, you know, lugging around that GX1 was just insane. And also, yeah. you know, the modular was pretty prone to uh, throwing a wobbler on stage. In fact, if I remember rightly, they had a bloke <laughs> that they carried around with them all the time who might have even been an ex-Moog guy. I know they nicknamed him Mr. Diode Head. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Rich, your involvement with um, synthesizers over the years and, and, and gigging must have kind of seen similar. Um, what would how would we call it? Fiascos, adventurous um, live attempts uh, at running this not, stuff. Not really, because I never did that sort of thing like I see Jean Michel Jarre doing nowadays with on stage with like you know hundreds of synths, you know, or dozens spread across three guys. I have done like one and two synth jams in that sort of format with gobs of tape delay in the old days and stuff. But in that environment I welcome the unpredictability. When I was doing, you know, fusion mini moog playing on Minimoog serial number 89, yeah, it would go out of tune once in a while, and that made life interesting, but it was never, uh, you know, all the kind of catastrophic things that could happen to a guy like Emerson around whom the whole show is based. You know, that's that's some fascinating stuff. <laughs> I love the idea that he didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, Diego, have you, uh, have you done much in the way of live stuff? Or, I mean, perhaps uh, cr- created some monster patches in the studio that require a fairly sort of um, masking tape and rubber bands kind of set up just to sort of keep it going? Yeah, I mean, when I was playing live, I just hated uh, having to bring so many keyboards. I, I, my maximum was uh, four keyboards, uh, a couple of expanders, but then it was just a, a mess of cab- cabling everything. And, you know, at the end of the, <laughs> of, the, of the concert, you have to unplug everything, put everything back in the cases. So I, I just hated that, that thing. But in, in the studio experience, uh, I, I got pretty messed up, up w- with some sessions where I had all stuff around and uh, it, it was just uh, really a mess. And as, as I said before, you just unplug one cable and you have no clue what's happening because <laughs> you, you, you don't know where that cable was going. And uh, it, it seems it seemed you knew where the cable was going, but then you don't. <laughs> so yeah. you just have to spend time uh, tracking down the, the signal path again. Uh, I, I better stay away from those kind of situations. <laughs> 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 but but uh, I would say I, I love the unpredictability of the MOOCs and everything. But in a live situation, if you have a modular MOOC, you just unplug one cable or two you're screwed i mean the sound is gone yeah you really need to know i mean also it must be so easy just to knock a knock a, a knob or something when you're opening the oh, flight yeah. case or whatever i mean it would just be oh i can't imagine i suppose it's it would be exciting if you knew what you're doing it's okay but you're gonna ha- you definitely can't leave it to the tech to set up really can you? you're gonna have to sort of be there and make sure it's right for you I remember um, when Golfrap were doing the, the live setups, there was a, and Alison was singing into an MS-20 live. The guy, it was one of the guitar techs or the, or the stage techs was 
actually playing the MS-20 parameters while she sang, you know, and modulating the filter and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had to, you know, it took a really long time for him to learn and get a feel for how even such a sort of fairly basic kind of semi-modular synthesizer like that needed to be set to get the voice just so. Yeah. So God mm-hmm. knows what it'd be like for him. PJ. Well, um, the only, the, the size of a setup that I've been responsible for, the largest setup is uh, two keyboards and a drum machine personally. Uh, but I do remember setting up in studio for a band that we recorded locally called Gadu Damaran. And they did this gigantic orchestral synth prog um, type thing. And the keyboard player for that, a, a good player by the name of Tim Sexton, had synthesizers under the sun and wanted all of them available to him at any time in the studio, even though he probably only used two or three for the lion's share of what he was doing. So we, we hauled uh, a Mellotron, a 2600, a, a uh, Chroma, a Rhodes, uh, a Hammond organ, all down a flight of stairs in order to get them into the studio and set them all up. But thankfully, you know, none of, none of this stuff had to be synced up. He played it all live to tape. Yeah. God, you'd really, you'd really kind of want him to play that. It's like, aren't you going to play any Hammond on this track then? Why not? Yeah, exactly. I've just well, brought exactly. this down the table. I want a Hammond solo or something, you know, just put some, something down. The day we attempted, I was, I was working in a, uh, kind of an upscale project studio at the time. And it was in the basement of a, of an old house and the, the whole thing had been refurbished into three rooms and it was, a, it was a great big space, perfectly capable of housing all of this equipment. The problem was getting it in. Yeah. We didn't have, um, you know, a proper entrance to the studio. So we're going down a small half flight of stairs that actually curved and, you know, had a kind of a steep descent. So we're carrying this Hammond organ down. I think it must've taken us about 30, 40 minutes to actually get this thing into the studio and up. And when he didn't play it for five days, I kept, I did exactly what you said. I kept jabbing him. I'm like, so when are you going to break out the keys over there? When are you going (laughs) to? Quite quite right too. I just uh, put together a group actually, and I'm I'm trying to figure out um, what is going to be the best way to set up multiple controllers to control one machine, um, hosting VSTs and being able to switch them on the fly. Because I'd like to do um, everything everything live. Nothing. Well, uh, I have to say, um, I know the Novation stuff can do that. You have to get Automap Pro, but that'll run multiple instances. You so you can assign one surface to certain plugins and another one to others. And and the like, so that might be the way to go. Okay. So that's what I remember of the demonstration we got at Mesa. Anyway, uh, I think it's about seventy five bucks or something. You have to buy um, Automap Three Pro, and it gives you you know multiple device support and all that sort of thing. I'll check that out. Sorry, Dave. Thanks. I was just going to say, Wakey tells a brilliant story about using a Minimoog on stage, the, a very early version, and they were playing at Alexandra Palace where the BBC broadcast a load of their um, stuff from back in the day. And he said the early versions of the Minimoog weren't actually shielded at all. So they go on stage and the guy pushes the faders up and all of a sudden he hears Liverpool 1, Arsenal 2 <laughs> coming through the PA. And it turns out that the football pools are being read out over the, you know, over the BBC. And the Minimoog's picking it up. And I believe what? that Bob was actually <laughs> in the audience and lined while they were still playing was lining his mini mode with baco foil 
<laughs> that's a, I like that. That's a great story. <laughs> well, um, gosh, we've we've marched on an awful. Uh, we've come come along a long way. Um, now, what should we do next? Should we do speechless or should we do legacy technology? I, I, have we got time for uh, for one or the other? What do you think? Who are those? What's this rock of fire explosion lot? Uh, well, they're uh, as far as I know, they were a kind of robot band that used to be in all of these uh pizza places in the 70s and 80s uh, in, the and US. in the u.s there were 200 oh. stores and um that, that's about as far as i've got does anyone know much about this guy pj rich the only thing i know about it is we had one locally so when i was a kid i'd you know occasionally get dragged to one of those places uh, for a birthday party or that or something like that. Okay, well, look, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll play this and then because it, it actually leads on to another topic, which we can, uh, which perhaps we can close with. How about that? After we finish the soundtrack here in the studio, that show has just barely scratched the surface of becoming a show for Showbiz Pizza Place. From there, we have to take it into programming. Now that's where things get tricky because there we have to make the characters look like they are performing the work that was performed as a cumulative effort here in the studio. Okay, now that's tough because that means we've got to put down a signal on each character's body parts every time it's supposed to move. Now let's say I wanted to go into programming. Uh, this is the programmer that I'm using to program the show with. I've been using this since about 1980. Uh, it consists of two Apple IIe computers. Um, this was the choice computer back in 1980. And, um, and we put all of our time and effort into developing the software and putting it on these great memory devices called floppy disks some of you may not know what these are but they're called floppy disks i know what they are i know what they are i've seen those before yes this was a, this this is yet this is yet another yet another synthtopia uh, topic which was um basically what's been happening is the rock of fire orchestra um are a, a robotic band that are programmed as described in, uh, still using the apple II computers they've been restored uh, uh, and they basically um there's a system still working that's run by that last guy who was talking uh and he has what they're doing is they're bidding you can have you can, a band bands fans can bid to have their songs synchronized and then videoed so the Nine Inch Nails one million was done. It, um, they raised six hundred bucks to have that done, which sounds like a pittance when you sound like when you hear the amount of work that goes into actually creating one of these things. But I thought it would what throw up a wider topic, which was what is there that you still use that's that's older, really kind of older technology that's still in use that's going. It's the only way of doing something that you can do in music at the moment. And I guess I'd like to start with Diego, um, just because he's here. <laughs> no, I was thinking regarding the video. I'm I'm probably sure there's a way to do exactly the same thing with a more modern system, but you're gonna take the magic right. out of the of this thing because look at the cabinet where they you know they enclose the the the, the Macs and everything. It's like working on uh on the deck of the <laughs> of us, you know. It's 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 cool to work with that environment, but. Uh, uh, I think you can replicate this kind of animatronics uh, technologies with with something else. But as I said, I, I would like I like to see the magic uh, uh, of that old system of that, of that vintage system. Um, personally, uh, um, something that I could never uh, something like you have to use that. Actually, there is something. It's a you, you know in these days we use a lot of uh, convolution reverbs and stuff. Yeah. Well. 
convolution reverbs are nice, really nice, but they don't sound exactly like a real room. So if you are in a hole, in a concert hall, and, uh, and you have to, and you want to record that sound, still the real reverb, the real hall makes a difference. Uh, I think that's still the, the right approach to go if you want to get the real uh, <laughs> richness of a, of a hole. Uh, I don't know if you guys agree because I've been messing with the convolution reverbs and other stuff for a, for a while. But <laughs> well, we did we did um, a couple of weeks ago. We did the topic and I, the, the giant uh, tank effects thing where you oh, can oh, upload oh, oh. your sample. It's not real time, and it'll get played back in a giant eleven meter. Oh uh, yeah, tank. yeah, I read about that. And you yeah, can and then you can have it sent back to you as a as a mixed or wet or dry or or, or dry signal. So yeah, I, I yeah. guess there are some some that that makes sense in that that respect. Um, okay. Uh, Dave. Um, I was more frightened by those animals. They did look pretty scary, didn't they? In <laughs> fact, if I was um, at the pizza place as a kid, I think I'd have run away. In fact, uh, hold on. MPS, uh, MPS says in the chat room is, uh, uh, they made my son cry. They scared the bejesus <laughs> out of him. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't alone. <laughs> Uh, no, I use these really weird old things called analog synthesizers. Ah, yes, oh. those. Wow. Quite, they're equally as scary at times. <laughs> of course, that, that, that goes without saying. No, no, I just enjoyed the day where I could get rid of those 2.8-inch uh, quick disc things and uh, floppy disks. That, that was a good day. I got tons and tons of uh, floppy disks, which I, I, I got rid of recently because uh, a friend of mine got an Akai S900 and I just gave him all my sample disks. And I felt, I felt quite good about myself knowing that they weren't going to the tip. They were going to stay in, a, in the same box they'd been for, you know, 10 years <laughs> and, you know, occasionally get thumbed through to find that solo violin patch or the, uh, the whatever. <laughs> <all> the... <laughs> Rich? Well, I think that this sort of takes its place in the lineage of the marriage of the electronic with the mechanical uh, someplace after the Nickelodeon and the original Lincoln animatronics display at Disneyland in the 60s. So it has a historical interest, much like Diego described, where no, I would, nobody in his right mind would do it like that now. And quite, I'm quite sure, even though I don't know, that 12 to 15 hours a day in every theme park in the world, there's animatronic systems running on more modern gear than that. Um, but that said, it does have a tremendous amount of romantic historical interest to me because it does take its place in that ever widening field of the marriage of electronic control of mechanical processes. So I really enjoy that. And uh, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, uh, it was interesting for me to hear Diego describe uh, his single piece of gear that you couldn't, you know, that you have romance for in the old days as being a room. Yeah. Because well, this is a man. This is also a fellow who I respect very highly for using natural sources as the basis for uh, the creation of electronic sounds. So the idea that a room would be a piece of gear in his mind is wonderful to me. Yeah. I really enjoy it. <laughs> you know, it's it's like all of these studios that are going down, you know, that are closing down. I mean, one thing that that studios have over, you know, most of our other kind of workspaces is is essentially architecture. You know, it's an architectural thing, just having yeah. a space that sounds good. Oh, I'm a guy who goes into, like, 
caverns and shouts into like my wife think you know is always apologizing to the poor tour guide because i'm off you know in some corner like clapping my hands or shouting or trying to create some kind of stimulus so i can hear what the space does i do the same if it uh, can make you feel better <laughs> no, well, cool. i, I no, guess it's, it's cool. almost it's almost worth having a pocket recorder and, a, and some kind of um like a, a banger or a snap it or something that you can throw down for an impulse response <laughs> wherever then, you then are you turn around mm-hmm. to 15 other people on the tour and say would you all please be quiet for a minute now for about 30 <laughs> seconds while this room decays so i can get a clean recording of what's about to happen and the other thing is i want to apologize for talking about you diego in the third person when you're sitting here with oh no 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 don't worry but i agree with you the romantic side of doing stuff it's extremely important otherwise everything becomes you know really cold uh, even working with with those um, old apples i i'm sure you know the console and everything it's part of the uh, it's part of the process, you know. It's like yeah. I'm, I'm making something alive with this huge console and everything, and uh, that, that keeps the thing interesting from a human point of view, you know. From a well, also you got you got to remember that that they've invested twenty years of learning how to use this equipment. That the, the way that the Apple II lags, the way that it interfaces, the control voltages, you know, the layout, you know, these oh, people yeah. who are, they they you know that you can't replicate that in another piece of software very easily. Um, right, right. Guest nine seven one eight in the chat room says, "Don't forget zip drives." I was just thinking about that. So I've got a few of those. Mm-hmm. I haven't got anything that interfaces with them anymore, though. <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah, I've got a few things on zip drives. The other thing that this brought up was um, the Epcot Center. I don't know if they've still got that, but I remember going to the Epcot Center in about nineteen ninety one, and you know, thinking it was going to be really sort of cutting edge but it was i suppose it had been cutting edge in about 1971 and it, that's what made it great was the fact that it was actually really old school i don't know if they've still got it like that the one in florida does anyone know if the epcot center still kind of there it's there yes and it, what's interesting is there's a there's a documentary out that you might find fascinating um it's one of the last things that disney actually filmed before he died walt disney himself and it was his original vision for epcot center which was an actual city that people would live in. And he had it arranged in a very specific way. Uh, He had a a board of people that got together to decide the way that this city would be engineered and laid out. And one of the most fantastic features of it was it was going to be domed so that it would always be 72 and sunny inside of Epcot Center. And his vision was that he would attract the brightest minds from around the world to live in epcot center which would also have a government that uh he didn't really go into the specifics of this but that it would be very easy to change the structure of the government so that it could suit the city at any given time and it would evolve along with the thought and technology inside the city and then two months after he unveiled this to the disney board he died and so the the board Paired that idea way, way down and created an addendum to their already existing theme park that became Epcot Center, as it ah. is now. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's really? pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's not like that now. I, all I remember really well was is all the kind of staff wearing um, blue nylon ill-fitting suits and standing around um, being told not to put their hands <laughs> in their pockets by very young management <laughs> but anyway that's kind of completely well, off topic it's got nothing to do I'm, with anything i'm sure they're not trying to project a low-tech uh image and when i played there in 2003 i guess it was uh they had just put in their mission space thing which was quite 
a ride. It was they discovered that they were kind of needing to put rides in the thing. Yeah, and so they put in a car, you know, a sort of a car race simulation, and they put in this mission space thing. And I'm sure since then they put in a lot more. But they're definitely not trying to project some sort of romantic old school technological vibe anywhere in Disney that I can see. I mean, they're all they're trying to modernize it constantly. I think that's a shame. I kind of like I like the Epcot Center as I remember it, which was you know. Really out of date, but kind of quite. It's like an homage to Space nineteen ninety nine. It was almost. It was great. Well, they haven't taken it. They haven't taken it away. They've just sort of added things into the existing structures, as far as I can tell, and maybe built a few things around them. Oh, brilliant! Anyway, uh, that was that was a bit of a wandering off topic. Um, I, I, I guess really we're probably about the end of it, really, because um, ten past uh, ten past five. We've got to pack up, and everybody's got to go. Diego, I guess the the sun must be coming up where you are now. Finally, yes. <laughs> as as you got up so early, so um, thank you, everyone. This has been a great episode. I've really really enjoyed having uh, having a new guest and yeah. having uh, yeah. this format. I think we're going to try try and do a couple more of these. Tara Bush said she'd she'd come on at some point in the future, and I've got a list of other people that I'm going to try and contact and just see if we can keep this idea coming. Obviously, Diego, you're most welcome to come back anytime you like. Um, but thank you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to. It was, <laughs> it was really entertaining. <laughs> So, Diego Stocco, um, thank you very much for joining us. So you can be found at diegostocco.com, amongst other places. But that's the sort of source of Diego Stocco-ness, where you can see all his videos and check out his amazing sound design stuff. And um, also, we'll say uh, thank you very much to Dave Spears from G4 Software for joining us and getting us that inside scoop on the Orbital uh, live setup, too. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And Rich Hilton uh, from Connecticut, thank you for joining us. I hope you're going to have a a long and fruitful day. in the studio or wherever you may be going from now it's always a pleasure to be here and it was even more so today because of diego being here so thanks a lot (laughs) thank you guys and pj tracy minneapolis uh, and i guess you've probably got quite a lot of the day left too so i hope your day is fruitful and long and um, creative well thank you very much thanks for having me and diego thanks for coming along and of course, thank you to everybody in the chat room. I, I haven't checked the stats yet, but it looked like we had quite a bumper crop. Um, you know who you are. And if you missed it this week, come and check us out next week at sonicstate.com forward slash live, where there will be a live chat room. Uh, we may be running a little bit early next week because we're going to go up to, we're, we're shutting down the office. We're going up to the Limbs show in London Docklands. Um, but the day before, there is a big party and product launch from Yamaha where I get to go on a boat on the Thames past the Houses of Parliament, where I no doubt see people um, ripping up expenses and chucking them in the river so uh, we'll see um it may be a little bit early next week but just maybe half an hour or something but uh, that was sonic talk number 132 brought to you by the letters roland.co.uk and loopmasters.com thank you very much and uh, it's a wrap 